0: This is Sporting Max with Max Becker on SEM. Yes, that's right. Welcome back to another episode of Sporting Max brought to you by Bastion GRP. For all your specialist needs in recruiting, engineering and defence, go to bastiongrp.com. Joining me on the show today is Carlton Blues legend, Anthony Kudafidis. Kuda, it's great to have you on. How are you?
1: Very good. Thanks, Max. I appreciate your time, mate.
0: Thanks, Kuda. Thanks so much for coming on. I want to start with this Carlton list this season. So this Carlton list this season, what does it currently need heading into next year?
1: I think they've got a relatively good list, really, uh, when you consider what they were able to do from round 15 mm-hmm. onwards uh, in leading into the finals. So they were definitely... You know, even though the best team, at least top two or three, you know, didn't quite get there at the end. But I think the three games finals experience for a lot of those boys are going to go a long way for them in the coming years. And so uh, we'll see what happens. But really, I mean, as a a midfield and defence with weedering and the rest and and our forwards are so potent, it's just really just, you know, enhancing a little bit more the list. And, uh, yeah, so I don't know if there's anything in particular that they really need.
0: Now, I want to get into, I guess your career and what was growing up, uh, I guess, in your childhood like for
1: you? I just grew up with two uh, migrant parents and I uh, fell in love with the game of Australian rules football and, and uh, went to a local school, had over a 1,000 kids, a lot of uh, Europeans at that time. And, um, yeah, I, I, I think I was eight I was eight years of age when I got introduced to the uh, ball and uh, we fell in love with it, got invited down to a local footy club and, mate, it all started that way, just with friends. And we continued on all the way through. So that was at the age of eight. That was footy in the winter, and then in the summer, my brother took up athletics, and I watched him compete for half a season before I finally had the courage to get out there myself. And I was, uh, I started winning events and quite talented in, in athletics, and both athletics and footy. Tried so two sports.
0: Don't like Kuta. You were ex- an extremely talented junior athlete, Olympic aspirations. Talk us through uh, that 1984, I believe it was, all schools championships.
1: Jesus, how do you know, mate? You you you're getting into depth here. I'm a little bit <laughs>
0: You're
1: gonna uh yes unravel a few things here. But uh it was grade five, I became a state high jump champion and and uh and uh grade uh six I was in the Pacific School Games and then when I was 14 I uh finally went down the Big Park, with some proper coaching, and uh I became Australian champion high jumper under four under fifteens, under sixteens. I won a lot of multi-events. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was up there with put and Discus, and uh, my brother was a state hurdles champion, so I started competing against him, started beating him. And uh, yeah, so Tim Forsyth beat me uh, in the under-17 tie jump, but I won the Australian title uh, in the 110-metre hurdles, win the Australian record. So um, yeah, I had an invite to Division I college uh, back then uh, for my athletics. It would have been the Cathonal Hurdles and but the footy, they were Carlton offered me a contract as well. So I went the the football way and I certainly have no regrets because of it.
0: You rejected your first three offer from Carlton, didn't you?
1: No, no, I didn't, no, no. No, no. I just rejected I tried to it was only seven thousand eight hundred dollars. We're trying to get a little bit more, but they didn't budge. So that was <laughs> that was it. That's all I earned. The first three years each year was seven thousand eight hundred plus a bit of match pay money. Uh, the reserves might have been two hundred dollars a game, maybe maybe seniors a thousand. So it wasn't huge money, but it was the start of my journey and the start of uh, uh, being able to live my uh, dream as a young kid to how play. Do think,
0: yeah. How do you think athletics contributed to um, your overall capacity um, on the footy field?
1: I was unbelievable athletics with the speed, the power that it taught me plyometrics. I was doing it at a young age as well to be able to high jump, so run and jump. Um, you know, I was a ruckman, at, you know, just on maybe six for three. You know, competing against guys that were maybe six six and being able to jump over them because of my uh, jumping ability uh, through athletics of what I learned. So that uh, it was enormous help. And when I think now too, I look at some athletes or footballers. I shouldn't say athletes, footballers, and their the ability that a lot of them because they play basketball tend to jump off two feet to be able to do it. But the the <laughs> art of it is to be able to run and jump off one leg and to have speed and to be able to jump like a long jumper. Well, mm-hmm. well, I took it for granted. It's actually a lot harder now that I watch other kids do it. Sometimes you run and you just you, you actually don't know how to run and jump with speed. And so that's what athletics did. It taught me so much with training, recovery, and it's a it's a fantastic sport. I think that can help a lot of uh, kids with their footy.
0: Absolutely. When did footy, I guess, become a real possibility for you when you realised you could make it as um, a professional football, obviously the AFL?
1: Or VFL, hadn't turned professionally yet, though. Yeah, I wasn't. I was never that sure. I mean, at 14, I, I went down the junior development squad at Calden there. They had two years. I think it was called the Burt Deacon squad. So I made the team two years and then made the Victorian team. I was the only playing player. And then they invited me to the under-19s. My brother was there, so I had two years of Carlton under-19s. And then I made the, the – um. I just missed the Till Cup team – as an underage, I was in the last five that got eliminated. And then the next year I made the two-cup team, the Vic Metro team, and made the All-Australian Centre back. So even then I was just – I wasn't sure. But then Colton came, you know, with a contract for me. So that's basically when I, when I sort of really knew that Colton were interested. I wasn't totally 100% sure before that. I wasn't an overly confident kid. And times were a little bit different back then as well. So, What
0: was that like getting cut from a Vic team?
1: Oh, that was alright I was still a bottom age so I still had the, that next year to make it and so I wasn't too devastated by it. I was very proud that I actually made the top 30 and was eliminated in the last five I mean there, there might have been maybe one or two or three maybe you know bottom age kids that maybe made that team I'm not 100% sure but there wouldn't have been many so it still was a good effort
0: How many of that 30 do you think played the AFL footy?
1: Uh, that year I'm not sure but the, the next year when I made the team so I, I don't know who really who made that team uh, but the next year, there was, there was quite a few of us that made it. If I went through that Vic Metro team, I mean, Mark McCurry and uh, Joe Mercedes were there, un- bottom age. David Kelford was there. Glenn Manton was there mm-hmm. in our team. Duncan Calloway. Uh, Paul Hopgood, who was at Melbourne. Kent Butch, I think he went to uh, – he might have been at Geelong then at Collingwood. Uh, there's more. I'm missing some. David Neitz was in the team. Wow. The, I think Matthew Croft. There, mate, there was There was a lot. There were, <laughs> We had a fantastic carnival. It was just an unbelievable team that I don't think, if I'm right, anyone even came close to us to to beating us. So we're a really good team.
0: Well, how does it feel just to, you know, chuck the big V jumper on and represent your state?
1: Oh, it's unbelievable. I mean, as a young kid, it was a dream. It was like, wow, yeah. anything. Either yeah, Carlton tracksuit back in the old days to where that was – just uh, it was a thrill. But anything we tried, and whether it was athletics or footy, it was a very proud moment because athletics are grade five and I'm already getting – you know, Victorian outfits and I'm wearing them around. I mean, I was so proud of that because obviously money wasn't, you know, and we didn't have too much money to have anything Victoria and uh, stuff like that uniform wise was uh, incredible.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, talk us through how you established yourself, I guess, in that current side from 1991.
1: In 91, I didn't get a game. 92, I played six games. They played me a full back in the reserves. So I won the reserves best and fairest that year. Yep. 93, I played eight games. I watched the boys play off in a grand final as I was emergency. Then 1994, I played the first half of the year and then I got dropped. So at that point there, I thought it was really the end of my career. And um, I went to see a sports psychologist. His name was Anthony Stewart. And he told me these words, I can I will you just watch me? And I had to highlight them in my diary every single day. Mm-hmm. Those words changed my life. And so two weeks later, I got picked on the wing and never looked back from that moment. And I think I was in the best players. Uh, probably every week, maybe barring maybe the second final, but I think pretty much every other week that I was here, uh, I played. I was in the in the best. So those words had a major impact on my life. So it took me three and a half years really to cement myself as a senior player. I Played fifty reserve games as well. So as much as people may look at my achievements and everything, they don't probably realise that I played fifty reserve games as well. So it wasn't easy. It was very tough going, uh, but eventually I made it.
0: You mentioned those words had a real impact on your life. How did it exactly? I guess, change your mindset and mentality?
1: It was more just everything that I did. And then whenever I turned up to training, it was, like, I can, I will, you just watch me. I can, I will, you just watch me. So it was just more that positive reinforcement, I think. And that's mm. probably what it was. You know, I went to training more with a focus. So at training, instead of just turning up to training, just getting through training, the training was like, okay, what did I? where could I have improved last week? Maybe my marking wasn't as good as what it was. Okay, tonight I'm going to focus on marking and turn up the training early. You know, get myself ready. And when training came, everything was just bang, bang, marking that ball at 100%. And then you come off with confidence. I can or will you just watch me bang? I can or will you just watch me bang? And then things started to unfold.
0: Now, talk us through, I guess you mentioned before, your 1991 year playing in the reserves, winning the best and fairest. Talk us through that year for yourself and what it was like, I guess, finding some consistency uh, in your game.
1: Yeah, so ninety two, I won the best and first. So ninety one, I was on the list. I was just a young kid. I, I was, uh, I just turned uh, eighteen that year. Yeah, yeah, I was signed when I was seventeen. I basically just turned eighteen. Uh, it was a tough, tough club to walk into. There was so much success around and uh, incredible players, and the list was just um, unbelievable. So, the senior players always got priority over a younger player just because of uh, experience. Whereas nowadays, it's the complete opposite. A majority of the times, but um. Yeah, so it was was tough going. It was really me um, getting through maybe the junior ranks with a lot of ability, but maybe not really understanding the game properly and understanding how hard I really needed to train if I wanted to play senior footy. So it was an adjustment year. And we made the finals that year. And I always uh, tended to come alive a little bit come finals time. So out of that final series, I built a little bit of confidence. But at the end of 91, I thought... I'm going to have to train a little bit harder. And uh, the weights was a little bit intriguing for me. I thought maybe if I get a little bit stronger, that might help. And so I started doing weights a little bit more serious than what I was that year. I'd never touched weights before that year. Uh, 91 was the first time I got introduced to weights. And then, uh, yeah, 1992, that pre-season in 91, 92. So at the end of 91, I started hitting the weights a bit heavier. I put on eight or nine kilos a lot in a a very relatively – Short amount of time, and uh, that there, the strength alone in '92 at fullback was able to just me be able to, uh, you know, withstand some more physicality in the game, and was able to start winning one-on-one contests. And so, the '92 season was a, a a big leap in growth for me as a player, to be able to get out there and beat majority of the players. And I, I ended up playing the last three rounds of the year, and uh, one of the games, the second last one, was against Collingwood, who was my the team that I begged for growing up. And uh, the last game we had to win over there in Perth against West Coast to make the finals. But, but they were so, so good over there. It was their fortress. They were strong and hard and tough. And of course, in 92, they won that premiership. So they kicked six goals in that first quarter. I don't think we kicked the goal. And that was basically the end of our season in 92. So, yeah, very, uh, yeah, I learned a lot in those early years.
0: Does it kick you in the guts when you just can't quite get over the line?
1: Uh, yeah, of course. I mean, the footy, we, we live our lives according to how we are playing personally, but also how the team and club are going. And if everything's going good over there with the team and club, you feel great. And when it's not going so good, it's not as uh, easy. So, yeah, it, it really revolves around winning. And uh, yeah, so it wasn't easy.
0: Talk us through your AFL debut and what that was like.
1: Yeah, I reckon I was emergency Maybe I don't know five, six, seven weeks. I don't know. I don't know how. I, it was around 13, 1992. I finally got picked against Adelaide. It was at Princess Park, Optus Oval mm-hmm. back then. Yeah, I just remember how nervous I was. I mean, I was thrilled obviously to be picked finally. I mean, to get one game AFL back then was just such a thrill. Uh, but yeah, I was extremely nervous. You know, all your mates are ringing you up at home wishing you all the very best, and uh, yeah, I was. Nervous, scared, but excited to at the same time. And so uh, come game day, you feel like you're playing against um, the Gladiators, you know, with Gladiators and against Gladiators being senior footballers because they just look so big and strong. And uh, So I started on the bench and came on in the second half of the, uh, or maybe halfway through second quarter. So I think I played two and a half quarters and I had about 15 touches. I kicked a goal. I should have kicked another goal. But I didn't. So I had a decent game and and we beat Adelaide, which was very good, very pleasing.
0: All your family and friends there, obviously, on your debut. What was the whole environment like around the old Princess Park?
1: Oh, It was the best um, stadium in the competition. You only needed 25,000 hardcore Cohen supporters there. And uh, it was like playing in front of 100,000 at the MCG, a little bit like what... Carlin's experience against Melbourne in the second week of the final. And I assume, like what Collingwood supporters experienced in that prelim and grand final, meant. uh crazy, crazy Carlin supporters at Princess Park, Optus over back then. So it was a wonderful feeling, well, especially in the third quarter when we are kicking down the Heatley stand and we kicked, you know, five or six or eight, sometimes even 10 goals down that way, and everyone's going crazy. They were just great times of play.
0: Absolutely. What did you learn off someone like Greg Williams or Stephen Kernahan throughout the early stages of? Your
1: career? Uh, Greg Williams was the greatest player I played with. He was just phenomenal. How a guy with no speed and not a great amount of endurance, not overly tall, how he was able to produce performances like that, it's still this day, I, I still don't know. I mean, obviously, he had something special in his brain because he moved the other way while others were moving there. But he, he was getting tagged as well. And somehow being slow, he could still break away from the tag. I, I don't know how he did it. <laughs> but, uh, he was just unbelievable to play with. When you're seeing the uh, a pack and mate, you wouldn't even see the ball, and the ball would come out and land on, on on your chest. You just go, My God, how did he do that? Only Greg Williams could. So left and right feet to left and right hands, mate, he was just magnificent. And he was a really he really was as much as he was hungry for that possession and that ball, he was still the team player, which is important. And Sticks Kernahan was um the greatest leader I played with. And uh, he always stood tall come finals. I uh, so so I met the mate, the greatest finals player I played with was was uh, Stephen Kernan. So he always lift always lifted for the big occasion, and uh, he's a wonderful guy on and off the field. So uh, well, I I learned from all the boys. It wasn't just specifically them. I mean, really, if you want to play senior footy, your standards had to be up here, and so I had to improve on my training and my consistency with that as well.
0: I spoke to Diesel here because he could get fifty touches out there these days playing professional AFL footy. Still at the age he is right now.
1: Is that Greg Williams? That's Greg Williams. That's what he said. Oh, yeah. I mean, I would not put it past him. I tell you now, I wouldn't say no, there's no way he could. Who knows with that bloke there, he's capable of doing anything.
0: Yeah, absolutely. What did you specifically learn, I guess, playing in the midfield with guys like Brett Ratton and Greg Williams?
1: Yeah, I didn't learn a lot. I mean, you know, I just went out there and really played my game. But I don't know if I learned too much of them. The, the two greatest influences on me was Wayne Britton and Baron Mitchell. They're the ones who taught me more about the game than anyone else. And, uh, yeah, not, not so much the other boys. I mean, their their training standards were good. So you learn from that sort of stuff in terms of how, you know, players train or whatever. But in terms of, you know, picking up things, I didn't really learn, you know, too much off, off the other guys.
0: So how did those two blokes you just mentioned then have a massive influence, I guess, on yourself?
1: Well, they just teach me. That basically, they could see this sort of ability that I had. And basically, yeah, Wayne Britton, you know, he came up with a game plan to really suit me and my style of footy and how it could benefit the team. And Baron Mitchell just taught me all these little things of the game that I that no one else had taught me to make it easier for me. Running patterns, where to run. You know, if your opponent's getting the ball here, where to go after that, just things like that. So he's got a great footy brain and I, hence the reason why probably Tom Mitchell's so good at getting that ball as well or having a father like that that can yes, teach you is yes. unbelievable.
0: Absolutely. Talk us through the historic 1995 uh, season for yourself and the guys around the footy club.
1: So that was a a very incredible year as a 22-year-old, uh, only losing two games in the entire year. We lost to the two bottom teams, which was a surprise. <laughs> and still to this day, I do not know how that happened. But yeah. um, that was St Kilda and Sydney. And it wasn't just, we, we actually got annihilated. Like so... So, yeah, it's the very um, surprising times. And uh, we, yeah, first week of the final against Brisbane. So we we finished, we were on top of the ladder 94 with one game to go and then we lost to Essendon. So we finished second. I think West Coast may have finished on top there. Maybe may we, we beat West Coast the week round 20 or something like that by 10 goals. And uh, then I think we beat Richmond. So then the last round we lost to Essendon. So then... The first week of the final, 94, we played against uh, Melbourne, who was seventh. We were second. So back then it was first play eighth, second play seventh. And Melbourne beat us. Then we got Geelong the next week, who had four of their top ten players out, four of the most incredible players out. I can't remember who they were, but they were, the, were their best players. And uh, they uh, they thrashed us as well. So we we went off 94 and everyone's saying in hey, 94 we're too old and too slow. We got to the first week of the final against Brisbane. I'm telling you, three-quarter time the game was in the balance. And uh, – Chris Scott was tagging me on the wing I hardly had a touch and uh, they threw me at uh, full forward and Sticks kicked the first goal. I kicked the next three and uh, then basically it was game over and we only won by about 13 points but then we got to the prelim final against a hard and tough North Melbourne outfit coached by Dennis Pagan and uh, we the, they went more the man we went the ball and we destroyed them by about ten goals or so and then we got to the grand final. Geelong were favourites. I don't know how. Yeah. By time we had a convincing lead by halfway through the last quarter we were up by eighty odd points. So I was, I knew then. I knew then. It finally, dawned on me. I was going. I think we're pretty much safe here now to go on and win that premiership. So that was an unbelievable year to only lose two games for the entire year, which I think back then was an AFL record.
0: The grand final. Did you allow yourself to soak it up a bit more, having? such a great lead, I guess, within the third quarter and after halftime?
1: It was only really the last quarter. that uh, I was halfway through last quarter when we're up by 80 points and I'm looking around going, wow, I'm about to be a premiership player. And Believe me, at the age of 22 and the way that we're playing, I thought there was more premierships coming. Not that I thought it then, you know what I mean? But I didn't yeah. realise how hard it was. But being at the Cowden Football Club and they played in Grand Final so often, it was probably just like, oh, you know what I mean? It was like the, I didn't think it. But at the back of your head, you know, there's more to come. And who would have known that 28 years later we're still waiting for the next premiership. But it was an unbelievable time. I mean, what a great team we had. We had a team of superstars. And uh, it was just a great time to be playing AFL footy. And, uh, yeah, we were definitely kings of the town after that. But it was just just, – what was good too is just to see, you know, your mum and dad at the ground and, you know, migrant parents who were able to experience AFL footy to be able to witness their son – you know, go on to become a premiership player at the Carlton Football Club. It was as much as a thrill, I'm sure. And they may have said it was their greatest day of their life as well. I don't know. I've never really asked mum. And my father <laughs> passed away a long time ago now. But uh, I'm sure I know how much they enjoyed it. What do you do for a job off the field? I do, uh, I, as you can see, CUDA Fit here. Yeah. yeah. A little bit of fitness stuff. Mindset, we incorporate the Herbalife uh, products uh, into. Uh, into uh, what we do, and uh, I, I smash the products as well. That's in terms of the nutrition with whole food eating, so we combine both, which makes it easier for results. And then, uh, yeah, the exercise and uh, the mindset part of it as well. So we do a lot of challenges, help people get healthy, happy. That's what I do, and I do a lot of footy talks and things like that as well, so I get to combine the both. Working from home, sort of lifestyle business, so I love it, and uh, I've got quite a few coaches in my team. There's nutrition clubs around town and, of course, my fit club. So we're a little bit of a diverse business in how to get out there and uh, reach a, a lot of people to whether to help them lose weight, whether it's to gain weight, increase energy, but general health and well-being. The
0: 1999 Big V jumper got presented to you. What were your thoughts going through your head at that moment?
1: Uh, yeah, I would have made the team in ninety six, but I somehow on that week got injured. My car flared up and it was strained, but um, I'm not sure if the V... Doctors weren't too impressed and uh, I think they wanted me to play, but I, I literally couldn't walk. But anyway, I, I don't think I- – I think they banned me for a couple of years after that and then, of course, at last I- – I got to play in that last one. The problem was it was an honour and it was a thrill, but it just bucketed down all day. It was full yeah. of this rain and playing a centre-half back, you know, we were playing one-on-one back then. It was, re- it was really hard to play. But anyway, it was good fun. It was a great honour to represent Victoria.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, talk us through, you are in the lead for the Brownlow in 2000 before, I guess, a sort of substantial PCL injury. Can you talk us through this and that season? Because you were just having a remarkable year for yourself.
1: Yeah, I don't know many games in a row. I was uh, voted best on ground during that year by the media. And so I won the AFL Most Valuable Player Award and the media awards, won cars and did all that. The only thing I didn't win was the Brownlow medal. So I was, I was favourite to win it. And uh, unfortunately, I didn't. And I knew by the time I got the round 20, it was some of the games that I played that I, I thought I <laughs> could get votes that didn't even get any votes, you know. And so I, I knew I was in a bit of trouble then. And um, yeah, so uh, it was won. And uh, yeah, so he won. I think Scotty West may have come second and then Andrew McLeod. And then I came fourth. So, fourth in a year where I was. Uh, definitely uh the favorite you know what I mean like uh, yeah. I was, was thinking Kuda, there's no way no you know he could lose this one here but uh yeah I did so I don't know anyway would have been nice to have won but it uh, it wasn't to be do you
0: think the AFL Brownlow system needs to change as it currently is
1: well I think so because uh I don't know you don't always get the the person that deserves the win doesn't always win it so I don't know you know it's a it's a very valuable award mm-hmm and um, you know, the, some people go, oh, "Don't worry about it." The most, the MVP, most valuable player award is the most important one. It's voted by your peers. That's brilliant. But at the end of the day, people look at your uh, your career and uh, and your achievements, and if they see a Brownlow, and the low, you know, I mean, it's just it's got that prestigious yeah, yeah. thing. About it. It's that little bit higher end. So whether you you know, uh, if you win and don't deserve the win, but you've won, at the end of the day, your name gets pinned there.
0: So this year, who would have been your pick for the Brownlow?
1: This year, oh, I thought the Bond, but I, yeah, because if Nick didn't get injured, I would have said Nick Dacos. So I thought the Bond this year.
0: Talk us through, I guess, the last seven years of your career. There was a, you had an ACL injury, a PCL injury, but I guess across that span, you played some remarkable footy too.
1: Yeah, the peak of my power. So 99, I, uh, I, I had a really good year that year. I probably didn't get enough, uh, Accolades for how good it was playing a centre back, but I missed the last five weeks of the year, and I finished second in our club best and fairest. I don't know, I didn't make the All Australian. I'm sure um, why, but anyway, it was always that that thing of he was very unlucky not to make it. Mm. So uh, yeah, I missed five weeks, but that was um, on my left knee. But then year two thousand, when I was, uh, at, you know, the peak of my power was really where I had that remarkable year. Unfortunately, round twenty against Essendon. Uh, they were on top. We were second. We won 13 games in a row. They were unbeaten at that stage.
0: Mm-hmm. Really? We just
1: lost to the Bulldogs by three points. And uh, it was ninety or thousand people there. But in the first quarter, Jason Johnson came across me and uh, smacked into my knee. So I did my posterior. That was supposed to be a four- to six-week injury. It took me nine months to recover from it. I tried to get back for the finals, but I couldn't. Mm-hmm. I know whatever happened, it stirred it up. So the next year, I came back just in time, believe it or not. The start of the season was year 2000 was the Olympics, so I finished earlier and the next year I finished yeah. later, so it was perfect timing. So, 2001, I had another unbelievable year, and I don't know if I got enough accolades for that as well. It was very similar to 2000, not as consistent, but right up there. And uh, I didn't get as many brown load votes either, but I had some really outstanding games. And uh, yeah, so the first week of the final where I was best on ground, I think the last three weeks of the season, too, I was best on ground, and then first week of the final. We were looking like very like dangerous, and the commentators were saying, "No, we're safe." You know, with Carlton in this sort of form, and then uh, unfortunately, second week against Richmond, the second week of the final I uh, went to kick the ball off the ground, and uh, Maddie Knights came across my uh, leg, my foot got stuck in the pack, so I, I snapped my um, anterior cruciate and medial, and so yeah, and yeah then I uh, missed almost an entire year. I came back, played in a brace in two thousand and two, because the club was struggling, and my third week in. On Dewey grounds in Sydney, I went to spoil the ball and I slipped, and Jason Sandrington landed on my brace. So then I snapped my medial again. And so I missed uh, the rest of that year as well. So I had a lot of injuries uh, during that time, a lot of injury. I
0: want to talk about your 1999 prelim performance. Sticks renowned as the greatest performance of football of all time by any player. What was that game and that quarter like from your perspective in that last quarter?
1: Well, we're we'll playing against the Unbeatables. Um, Essendon Football Club, and they thrashed us twice throughout that year. They were clearly the best team that year, 99. And uh, I, as we walked in the prelim final, all the Essendon supporters were lining up for grand final tickets and basically thought that it's impossible that Essendon could lose to Cullen. There would have to be something drastic to happen. Yes. Maybe, maybe if six or seven of their plays went down, we might then have an opportunity to be able to beat them back. <laughs> I remember John Elliott coming into the rooms before the game and he said, I've got a funny feeling about today, Kuda. And, uh, mate, I don't know, he made me start thinking about the past of the the Carlton Football Club. I don't know. Anyway, we went out by halftime. We had a convincing lead. In the third quarter, Essendon played the way they were capable of playing. They kicked seven goals, seven. And uh, they were in front of us for three-quarter time. So as we came to the huddle three-quarter time, I was like looking above, just going, please, just tell them, put me in the midfield, put me in the midfield, and they didn't. And then uh, two or three or four minutes into the last quarter, when things weren't going too well, they said Currie were in the middle, and then it started. We kicked the goal. I took a mark, and, and it was on. And somehow, I don't know, Mark McCurry would have kicked that ball at the end with less than a minute to go, probably ninety-nine times out of a hundred, but he missed on this ca- occasion. And Fraser uh, Brown put on one of the greatest tackles of all time to stop Dean Wallace, and uh, it was game over. And and we ended up winning by one point.
0: Talk us through. The Nike and Adidas controversy through the mid 90s. You're a bit of a, a poster boy for both of those companies, obviously. The Blues having a deal with Nike at the time, um, and yourself a deal with Adidas.
1: So the club was with Adidas for 21 oh, years. Adidas, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, the, but you said it right. I mean, at that stage there, they changed over to Nike and basically promised Nike they could have all the plays, but I was still contracted to Adidas and was really keen on staying there. So my manager said, you can, no problem. Let's fight this battle. So uh, we took on the club, and it was the first time ever any any play had done this sort of thing. And uh, we weren't sure 100% whether we could get it through the line. But if we read a lot of the laws, I mean, there's no way a, a club could stop or disallow you from being sponsored by another. But maybe no one ever challenged the club before, yeah, and just yeah. couldn't. So we did. We stood up to the bully. And uh, I almost forfeited a game against Richmond. But the morning of the of the game, the club rang me up and said, you're playing tonight. So basically, they gave in and uh, allowed me to be sponsored by Adidas. So I signed a four-year deal then with Adidas as Carlton went to Nike. So that was uh, wonderful for me to stay loyal to the company that had already sponsored me while the club went to Carlton. So that opened up the door basically for every other player in the competition to go out and source their own uh, footwear uh, sponsorship and uh, a lot of players did and uh, and some other companies came in solely for the purpose of sponsoring players with their boots so they didn't have to outlay so the hundreds of thousands of dollars that some of these uh, sporting giants could afford to do and these other smaller brands uh, couldn't. The Adoras, Lottos and all these started to come in and uh, started to sponsor some players with their boots and stuff like that so it really opened up the doors for all the other players.
0: You are made captain of the Carlton Footy Club at in 1994, can you talk us through being the captain of a club where excellence is just always expected? 2004,
1: yeah, 2004 to 2006. Um, yeah, that was an honour for me because I, I back then I thought I walked in when I was 14, left when I was 34. I didn't know I was going to leave at 34. But to be, you know, asked to be captain at the age of 31 was a thrill for me. And uh, the club was on a decline enormously uh, from the year 2003 it really started to go like this. So it wasn't a great period to be captaining the team, but at the end of the day, it was a thrill for me. Feeling the
0: pressure
1: from uh, No, not so much the pressure. I mean, the pressure was part of footy and part of cold, and really, ever since I was a young kid, I felt pressure there, but it was no different, really. It was just hard to captain a team that wasn't winning, you know, most weeks, and... uh the first year I captain, we did alright. I think we finished tenth, but the next two years, mate, we're down the bottom somewhere. we are going nowhere. So it was a, it was a very difficult time. It wasn't easy to captain them. But at the end of the day, one of the highlights was me captaining uh, the club for the last game, also on Princess Park. So that was a thrill.
0: Talk us through those moments. How special are they to you now?
1: Um, the the last game. The last game at Princess Park. Yeah, that was only uh, to see all the past players come along and. Uh, you know, to know that I was captain the last game, they were the most iconic suburban ground, in my opinion. There was so much history there, the Carlton Football Club, the Heatley Stand, Gardner Stand. You know, other clubs were were there who had to pay Carlton rent. I mean, there was just – it was Carlton's fortress. And so to finally say goodbye, that was a very sad day. Still to this day, I don't believe that it should have happened, but it did for whatever reason.
0: Do you feel that now the Carlton faithful down at Ligon Street – And we saw the pictures in the prelim final of how much everyone's got around Princess Park.
1: Oh, yeah, it was back. Finally, again, I mean, you know, Ligon Street was like iconic to the Carlton Football Club. And uh, in 95, when we won, the streets were just going crazy. Anytime there's Italy in the World Cup, Ligon Street goes crazy. But it's really affiliated with the Carlton Football Club. And so to see the buzz back there, I'm sure all the retailers were thrilled about it as well, you know, and – the owners of restaurants and stuff like that. But, uh, geez, if we had to continue on and got to the grand final. It would have been absolute mayhem. It would have been great. But it was good to see it come alive again and good to see the Carlton Football Club come alive again. It just shows how important that team is in club. That club is really to the AFL. And if we can get all the four teams, that includes Essendon too, as much as we dislike Essendon.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> to be honest, you know, we, to have everyone up at one stage, it's just going to blow the AFL away.
0: Absolutely. What would be your advice, Kuda, to any youngster um, from the ages of grassroots footy all the way through to under 18 who wants to make it to AFL level?
1: Yeah, be disciplined, commit, always believe that you can do it. You're going to have some people that probably don't believe in you, but you have to believe in yourself and uh, just work hard, you know. Work hard every day, work on your skills to try to get a little bit better. Just pick out something every day to get yourself a little bit better.
0: Talk us through Kuda Fit and um, I guess the whole program
1: um there at the moment. So I do two nights of uh, group training on a Monday and Thursday 7pm at Bandoora Secondary College at this stage here. It's, uh, it's $10 entry, but that includes a recovery shake. So it's really good value. The recovery shake starts the process of recovering straight after training. Mm-hmm. So we teach them and guide them a lot about nutrition as well. The first 30 minutes to get a little bit of that into you starts the recovery process, start to feel better. And the sooner you can do that, the better you feel the next day and you feel like you can train again. And that's the key to it. So there's that we do online challenges, you know. As I said before, I've got nutrition clubs involved uh, in my organisation as well. We span across Australia. We've had international business in the past, so we can do business around the world as well. And so anyone could reach out if they want to uh, get healthy. And uh, yeah, I, I've been doing it now for twelve years and absolutely love it. And so uh, yeah, so if, if people can just follow me if they want Max on on Instagram and they can see what I do if they want.
0: Absolutely. Kuda, thanks so much for joining us on the show. It's been an absolute honour to have you on and uh, enjoy the rest of the year.
1: Thanks very much, Max. Keep up the good work, buddy.
0: Thanks so much, Kuda. Stay tuned, everyone, for some more Sporting Max. We'll see you soon. This is Sporting Max with Max Becker on SEN.